This is false and defamatory, the impact of defamation and weaponized social media. Trigger warning. This podcast discusses topics related to emotional abuse, gaslighting, verbal abuse, threatening language, cyberbullying, intimidation tactics, and thoughts of self-harm which may be triggering for some listeners. The content includes descriptions of manipulative behavior, psychological distress, body shaming, online harassment, and other forms of abusive behavior and emotional trauma. Please take care of yourself and consider your mental and emotional state before listening. If you need support or someone to talk to, please seek help from a trusted friend, family member, or mental health professional. Thank you for listening. At this point, we are just coming back from our lunch break in day two of the trial. And so we are also currently still in the plaintiff's case in chief, and I'm the plaintiff. And this means that right now we are still presenting our side. After we're done, the defense will get a chance to present their case in chief. And then once that is over, we will be able to provide rebuttal since I am the plaintiff. And at this point, we are coming back from our lunch break in day two of the trial. And so far in my case in chief, I have testified, the defendant has testified, my husband has testified, and we are about to call my therapist to testify. Once the judge said that we would break for lunch, the jury left the room. And then the judge says, all right, the record will reflect that the jury has left the courtroom. Let's talk about our schedule this afternoon. We'll come back at 1.15. And then the judge says to Elizabeth, what do you have? And Elizabeth says, I believe the only witness we have left is our client's therapist, Dr. Sean Lee. The judge says, okay, Sean, as in female, Elizabeth says male. And the judge says, male Sean, but not the cowboy. And Elizabeth says, I wish. The judge says, whatever happened to him, he used to be kind of good. Elizabeth said, I think he retired from too many neck stingers. And the judge said, number 50 from Penn State. And so they are discussing a professional football player who used to play for the Dallas Cowboys, whose name is also Sean Lee, who is not the same person as my therapist, just for the record. Then the judge says, so that's the only remaining witness before you rest. Is that right? Elizabeth says, I believe so, Your Honor. The judge says, all right, so are you going to have anything to tee up after? I don't know how long exactly that'll take, but I would think an hour, hour and a half for direct and cross. That's going to take us to about, let's say, 2.30. And then they've said they're going to rest. Do you have anybody to put on this afternoon? The defendant's attorney says, I really would prefer to be able to start my case in chief tomorrow morning. The judge said, well, you've reserved cross-examination for both parties and they're here. And then the defendant's attorney says, I can't get done with both of them today, judge. And I have, based on what we discussed yesterday, I was planning on having my opening for tomorrow. The judge says, well, we may be looking at 2.30 and you're just talking about preparing your opening statement or it looks like we may be finished with the plaintiff's case by 2.30 or 3, which is going to give us a couple of hours yet this afternoon that we probably need to use. I mean, we can't just all go home. I've got hearings Wednesday afternoon, so I need to get this testimony done. The jury charge deliberations and all that, which we can do tomorrow morning if we're done with the evidence today. You've got both parties to examine. Defendant's attorney says, that's it, I believe. And the judge says, okay, so we can do that in two hours this afternoon. Defendant's attorney says, if I tell you yes, it'll be no. I mean, if I tell you no, it will probably be 
this. So um, profanity if I do and profanity if I don't judge. And the judge says, well, we're kind of all profanity by the schedule. I mean, I just can't go home at 2.30 when I've got hearings tomorrow and a bunch of stuff left to do in this case. So I'm not really getting the reason why you need overnight. We're talking about the two parties. Both of them have been deposed, right? Defendant's attorney says, yes, sir. The judge says, so what's the issue? And defendant's attorney says, I'll tell you what, if I open and take plaintiff on cross, would that be sufficient to be able to let me have the morning to take my client? The judge says, it depends on how long the cross is. I mean, we just need to use the time. I can't send everybody home at 2.30. And then the defendant's attorney says, no, sir, I'm certainly not asking for that. Hey, I'll go to five o'clock. Sure. And then the judge says, I mean, is there a certain time? Have we got childcare issues or a medical appointment? I'm trying to get the reason. The defendant's attorney says, the only reason is that I had planned to spend this evening prepping my client for her cross-examination tomorrow. And I'm not getting the opportunity to be able to do that judge. So that hamstrings me a little bit. The judge said, okay, I'm sorry. When did you come on this case? And the defendant's attorney says July, but that's actually not correct. On May the 9th of 2022, defendant's counsel filed an appearance of counsel. And this is the attorney that was on that on May the 9th. And so he is saying here that he got the case in July, but that is actually not correct. The judge says, oh, you just came in July? And he says, yes. The judge says, I mean, if that works out and we can break a little bit early, like 4.30 or whatever, how long do you think your direct is going to be with your client? Defense attorney says, I would expect it to be at least an hour, perhaps longer. The judge says, all right, well, if we get to a point this afternoon where we're finished with your cross-examination of the plaintiff and you want to do your cross-examination or your direct examination of your client first thing in the morning, we could still use the time this afternoon to work on the charge because we need to work on the charge. The charge isn't ready. It's not my fault. It's not ready. It's kind of been strange, I guess you would say, the way it's been submitted. So we've got to use that time this afternoon. So maybe we'll do that. Defendant's attorney says, have we got a proposed charge at this point? The judge says, yes, we do. Well, no, not from the plaintiff. We've got yours and we've got the PJC. And by the way, the PJC is the pattern jury charges. And so that is a legal document that the courts abide by whenever there is a jury charge. And that is a reference used for how the jury charge should be and what rules to follow and that sort of thing. So you'll hear that term PJC a few times upcoming, and that's what that means. Then the judge goes on to say, so we're going to need input from the plaintiff on the charge since it's their issues. So be ready to give input. Please know your numbers and what you're requesting and how we're going to tweak them and all that kind of stuff. If you're not able to get one done in writing, that will be the next best thing. We'll get a working draft and then we'll all have input on it. And we may have our informal charge conference this afternoon, depending on how long the testimony goes. So you just think you're calling those two, the two parties, correct? And then the defendant's attorney says, at this time, yes, sir. I'm still trying to talk to the guy in my ex-business partner's state. And then the judge says, okay, so you just don't want to rest today is the problem. And the defendant's attorney says, if I don't have to, I don't want to, but I'm going to do what the court tells me to do, certainly. And then the judge says, well, I'll give you some time in the morning before you have to rest so that you can do whatever you need between now and then. So essentially, the defendant's attorney is trying to delay because they are still at this moment in time trying to get my ex-business partner to agree to testify. However, as I've already covered, there wasn't a valid subpoena. And so if she were to do that, it would violate the settlement agreement that we have and therefore expose her to legal action, which she did not want to do. But he is trying to 
by time in order to try to get her testimony. The other thing is I want to go through with you all. I don't think I've put it on the record what exhibits were admitted in pretrial. The court reporter says no. And then the judge says, okay, if they were admitted, you all need to give them to him at this time, the physical exhibits. Elizabeth says, okay. And then the judge says, Y'all ready to do that or do you want to do that at 1 p.m.? Elizabeth says, I can do it at 1 p.m. Then the judge says, okay, you need to physically give him the exhibits offered and that I've admitted. So, court reporter, here's what I have on the plaintiff's exhibits. I have admitted and then they discuss. And then he says, all right, let's take our lunch break and we'll go off the record. At this point in time, it is 12.05 p.m. and we would be back at 1.15 p.m. However, at this time, the judge has just said we need to give him all of our exhibits. And since we had them, I did not think that this was an issue. But as soon as we got to the conference room on our lunch break, Elizabeth was clearly panicking. And she said, we have to have every single one of our exhibits on a separate USB drive. And I don't have those. And so we're going to have to try to find a CVS or something like that. So there's all this panic about trying to get these thumb drives so that we could put the exhibits on them, the videos that we had shown, the paper exhibits, the police report, the posts that were printed. Those were fine, but it was the videos. And then all of a sudden, my mom reaches into her purse and grabs a whole handful of USB drives and says, will these do? (laughs) And so she was kind Um, of, she was kind of the hero of the day at that point. So my mom has saved the day, randomly just had a bunch of thumb drives in her purse, and we have put our exhibits on them. We did have to erase the files that were on them, and it was almost sort of like those movies whenever you see and they're trying to break into something and download these files and, you know, they're coming down the hallway and the little status bar is going. And so we're trying to get all of these files copied onto my computer so that we could use them for these exhibits and we were on a time crunch. We had about an hour to do this. And so it was, it was literally a scene out of a movie. But we get back and it is 1.15 p.m. The judge says, everybody be seated. All right, let me see your exhibits 1 through 25. And Elizabeth says, okay, Your Honor, at this point, we are willing to withdraw a lot of exhibits. We heard everything that you told us on Friday about trying to pare down these exhibits, and we're going to withdraw numbers 2 through 4, leaving only exhibits 1 and 5. And then the judge says, 2, 3, and 4 are withdrawn. All right, the plaintiff has given us an exhibit notebook containing the following exhibits. 1, 5, 6, 14, 18, 63, 90, 91, 94, 118, 119, 120, 138, and 300. Is that correct? And Elizabeth says, yes, Your Honor. The judge says to the defense attorney, do you have any objections to any of these exhibits? And he says, no. The judge then says, all right, they are admitted. They are in our possession. And then the judge says, all right, anything else before we bring the jury in. And then the defendant's attorney says, I have one question, your honor. And then the judge says, yes, sir. And the defense attorney says, and I'm sorry, I've just forgotten what the court's ruling was. I think I remember it, but with respect to the plaintiff's motion in limine regarding number 16 in their motion in limine, statements of law or damages, any mention, reference, or introduction of evidence regarding any former element of damages of any cause of action or other legal wrong that is not specifically included in plaintiff's live pleading. 
we had a discussion about this on Friday. My recollection is the court said, if you pled it previously, it can be discussed, but I want to make sure before I'm forced to start cross-examining folks, that was in fact the court's ruling. The judge says, I'm confused. What was my ruling? What are you recollecting concerning the ruling? And the defense attorney says, I'm saying that their original complaint in this case is something I ought to be allowed to talk about. And that is addressed by this motion in limine that they made. My recollection is the court said that I could discuss that, but I want to make sure I'm not playing fast and loose on what the court said and my memory is not playing tricks on me. The judge says response and Elizabeth says, Your Honor, we have no problem with him using it for impeachment purposes. However, this was a motion in limine that was agreed to by defendant and therefore granted by Your Honor. The judge says, I mean, I've seen that a hundred times. Any pleading that is superseded, abandoned, we had an intervener, so that's out. I mean, I think the limine applies to that, that you're not allowed to go into pleadings that have been superseded unless you have a reason to or you convince me you need to. And then the defendant's attorney says, and that goes back to what the plaintiff testified to earlier about the jeans testimony, the purchases that she made and being able to fit in those jeans at a certain size. That's the sum and substance of the original complaint that was filed in this case. And we feel like that's the German for purposes of demonstrating why the complaint was brought in the first place for purposes of letting the jury understand that. The judge says, okay, well, you're going to have to cross-examine the plaintiff. If you think you have a prior inconsistent statement that she made, then that's fair game, but not a superseded pleading. That's not even her statement. That's her lawyer's statement. I assume it wasn't verified. Defendant's attorney said, no, sir. The judge says, I mean, that's why you amend pleadings. Amend them as opposed to supplementing pleadings. If it's amended, it replaces the original pleading. It's not even her statement, so I don't know how you're going to cross-examine her with something that's not her statement. The defense attorney says, okay. The judge says, if you have prior inconsistent statements made by a witness, obviously you can ask her about that, but I think the limine covers that, and the limine is still good in terms of keeping that out unless you approach and something comes up and you approach me and I rule on that outside of the presence of the jury. Defendant's attorney says, I'm looking at Bay Area Healthcare Group Limited versus McShane. An abandoned pleading is admissible into evidence against a pleader. The judge says, okay, we'll have a hearing on that when it comes up. Defendant attorney says, okay. The judge says, ask me to have a hearing outside the presence of the jury. I'm going to need to know the statement. Right now, we're just talking about broad strokes about a pleading I'm not looking at and in all probability haven't read. So when you think that comes up, that it becomes admissible, we need a hearing outside the presence of the jury. Are we on the record? The court reporter gives a nonverbal response and shakes his head. The judge says, oh yeah, we did exhibits. All right, anything else before we bring the jury in? Everyone indicates no, bring them in. And then the judge says, all right, thank you. Please be seated. As I recall, the witness has been passed and call your next witness. Sarah says, thank you, your honor. At this time, we call Dr. Sean Lee. And then the judge says, Dr. Sean Lee. And then Sarah says, he's waiting outside. The judge says, go ahead and spell that name for our reporter while we're at it. And she does. Then my therapist goes in. The judge says, would you raise your right hand? And my therapist is sworn in. The judge says, thank you. Please have a seat and move up to that microphone and pull it towards you. I don't know why they made it too short to reach, but maybe I can get an extender one of these days. You may proceed. And then Sarah says, thank you, your honor. Good afternoon, Dr. Lee. Could you please introduce yourself to the jury? And Dr. Lee says, sure. I'm Dr. Sean Lee. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and I have a private practice in South Lake, Texas. I've been working with Ms. Wrighton since I guess it was November 25th of 2020. Sarah says, Dr. Lee, how long have you been 
been practicing as a clinical psychologist. Dr. Lee says, I was licensed as a psychologist in 2010. Sarah says, if you could tell us a little bit about your educational background, where you went to undergrad. Dr. Lee says, sure, undergrad, I went to a school, a little private school in Arkansas called Harding University and got a bachelor's in psychology there. And then I went to work on my PhD at Seattle Pacific University. The court reporter says, I'm sorry. And so then Dr. Lee repeats Seattle Pacific University. And I graduated in 2007. I did my post-op at the state of California and actually, you know, obtained full licensure in 2010. Sarah says, and where is your license applicable? Is it just the state of Texas or is it a license for states across the U.S.? Dr. Lee says, the license that I currently hold to practice here is in Texas, but you have to have a license for every state that you practice in. So I've been licensed in California, in Indiana, and also in Texas. Sarah says, since your licensing in 2010, have you been a clinical psychologist, a practicing clinical psychologist? And Dr. Lee says, yes, I have. Sarah says, have you been at your South Lake practice since 2010? And Dr. Lee says, no, I have not. So I actually did some work with the state of California from 2007 to 2010. And then I went on to Indiana and I was actually teaching there at a school called Indiana Tech. And I did some private practice work there. And then in 2012, I was licensed in Texas, moved down to Texas with my family. And I started doing some contract work there. I continued to do some online teaching at Indiana Tech while I was kind of building up my practice. And after my practice got up to a certain point, then I said, I'm going to kind of cut that loose and focus more on the practice so I could have more time with my family. And Sarah says, and what were you teaching at Indiana Tech? And Dr. Lee says, psychology, undergrad psychology. And Sarah says, what's the name of your practice in South Lake? And Dr. Lee says, higher ground psychological services. Sarah says, and since moving to Texas in 2012 and beginning your contract work, have you worked with this practice since that time? And Dr. Lee says, I started started working in South Lake, it would have been 2015. That's when I started my practice there. And Sarah says, and have you been continuing your practice in South Lake since 2015? And Dr. Lee says, yes, I have. Sarah says, Dr. Lee, if you could give the ladies and gentlemen of the jury a little bit of understanding what your day-to-day practice is. When you walk in your office in the morning, what does your day look like? And Dr. Lee says, typically I start when I get to drop my son off in the morning for school, and then I go to my practice. And I start working at 8 a.m., Then I usually see people back to back from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. And then I go pick up my son from school again. Sarah says, and when you say you see people in your practice, what does that mean? Dr. Lee says, about 25% of my practice is working with adolescents. About 25% of my practice is working with couples. And about 50% of my practice right now is actually working with adults. And Sarah says, and when you say working with adults, what does that entail? Dr. Lee says a variety of things. I have a specialty area in working with people coming out of abusive relationships and also narcissistic abusive relationships. I also work with a wide variety of mental illnesses, work with a lot of mood disorders, anxiety disorders. Yeah. Sarah says, on average, how many patients do you see a day? Dr. Lee says seven. Sarah says, Dr. Lee, have you been requested to be here on behalf of one of her patients? And Dr. Lee says, yes. And Sarah says, and is that your patient Crystal sitting next to me? And Dr. Lee says, yes. And Sarah says, I'm going to ask you some opinions that you have related to your treatment and care of Ms. Wrighton. And can we have an agreement for the jury that your opinions today will be based on a reasonable medical probability? And Dr. Lee said, absolutely. Sarah says, I think you touched on this earlier, but when did you first meet Ms. Wrighton, Crystal Wrighton? Dr. Lee says, it was 
was the day before Thanksgiving in 2020, so November 25th of 2020. Sarah says, and do you know how Miss Wrighton found you, how she came to you? And Dr. Lee says, it's my understanding that she was seeking out somebody who had some understanding of narcissism, and I think that's how she came about finding me. And then also because she was looking for some help because she was feeling depressed and anxious in a way that she had never felt before. And Sarah says, and just so it's clear, prior to your treatment of Miss Wrighton, to your knowledge, has she ever been on any sort of medication to assist with any sort of mental illness or just assistance in helping her mental state. Dr. Lee says, as far as I know, she's never actually seen a counselor or psychotherapist before in her life, so I was the first for that. She was on and anxiety medicine, but that was a recent addition because of what she was going through for the two months prior to actually coming to see me. So Dr. Lee says here that that was two months prior to actually coming to see him, and that is a little bit incorrect. I came to see him about almost two weeks after this started. So this started on November the 13th, and my first meeting with him, he just testified, was November 25th. Sarah says, when you first met with Miss Wrighton, tell the ladies and gentlemen a little bit about that first meeting with her. Dr. Lee says, well, when she walked in, she's very, very well put together considering what she was going through at the time. She was definitely anxious. I've seen her tearful on many occasions, feeling hopeless, feeling helpless are things that she's expressed. She wasn't sure why it was that she was getting attacked online, and she was also feeling threatened by the community. And I also want to add some of that community were individuals that knew her beforehand. And so she was very, very surprised at this backlash that she was receiving from nothing that she had actually done. And Sarah says, in that first therapy session with Miss Wrighton, did you talk through with her ways that she can begin to work through this. Dr. Lee says, yeah, I mean, and I want to be clear, I diagnosed her on that day with adjustment disorder with mixed anxiety and depressed mood. And part of that was because of the timing of the situation. It was also because it was based on a triggering event. I mean, this is like something that she had never experienced in her life. She doesn't have a history of depression or mood disorder, doesn't have a history of anxiety disorder. This was something that was triggered by an actual event. One of the things, and Miss Wrighton might actually laugh whenever I say this, but one of the things that we spent a lot of times were dealing with work. So she had a lot of excessive worry. She was pretty well known within this online community and she has had a very, very good reputation and she was just very disappointed. She felt like there was some character assassination going on. So in talking about the worry, a lot of what, you know, we talked about is something I call the worry boxes. And that's basically when there are some things that are within your control. There are some things that are beyond our control. And there's a decision point for both of those. And, you know, things that are within our control and we're worried about it, then there's we can do something about that. And then it alleviates us from that worry. There are other things in life that are beyond our control. And there's also a decision point there. And the decision point is we're actually going to continue to worry about those things, even though we can't do anything about it and drive ourselves bananas. Or we're going to say, you know what, I'm going to choose to let that go. And so that was something that seemed to be very constructive and helpful for Miss Wrighton based upon her communication back with me. And Sarah says, and I want to go back a little bit and go through what your diagnosis of Miss Wrighton was. And Dr. Lee says, again, it's adjustment disorder with mixed anxiety and depressed mood. And Sarah says, okay, if you could tell the ladies and gentlemen of the jury what that means, what adjustment disorder with anxiety and depressive disorder is. And he said, so adjustment disorder is basically something that's diagnosed whenever you have marked distress that's based on something that happens, you know, a triggering event within three months. So the symptoms have to show for about three months, within three months. It is also something that causes marked impairment in either social life, occupational life, or educational. In this case, 
it would be social and occupational. And then in addition, I added the qualifiers of mixed anxiety and depressed mood. And that was because of her presentation and what she reported to me. I always give out a screening form before I meet with people the first time. It's called the DASS-21, which is the depression, anxiety, and stress scale. And it's one of those things that I kind of use as a barometer to kind of tell how people are feeling when they first get to the office or how they felt, you know, over the last two weeks. And she had marked, it was very she had very, very high elevation. In fact, she was at the highest level you could be for stress for just this depressed symptoms and also anxiety. That being said, there were some positive things too. You know, I didn't hear her saying that she was worthless. She was not, you know, suicidal or thinking about death or things like that. It was more that she was in a crisis situation that she really desperately wanted to end. And so, one of the reasons that this is ongoing is because it's not really resolved because there's continued to be these posts. And every time there's a post made and she finds out about it or someone, you know, posts in addition to it, it kind of re-traumatizes. She has to get back to that person that she really, you know, that she wants to be. So I think, in my opinion, I feel like it's one of those things that if the posts end, I think that's where the healing begins for Miss Wrighton. I think that this is something that's been ongoing. I saw her 66 times, 66 sessions since November of 2020. And I feel like this is one of the reasons why it's been ongoing. It's just something that is just continuous. She hasn't been able to get away from it no matter what's been tried. And Sarah says, and after your first therapy session with Ms. Wrighton, did you recommend any additional medication for Ms. Wrighton? And Dr. Lee says, Certainly not on the first day. I had to kind of get to know her situation. And at some point, I did recommend that it would not hurt her if she was talking with her primary care doctor about maybe getting on an antidepressant just to take the edge off a little bit. She was already taking the anxiety medication as directed, and I know that was helping with the anxiety. But this has been going on for a long time, and so it was one of those things that I felt like would be beneficial for her to at least consider, and she did at some point. And Sarah says, to your knowledge and your continued treatment of Ms. Wrighton, is she continuing to take the anxiety medicine and antidepressant. And Dr. Lee says, yes. And Sarah says, and that is still true to this day. And Dr. Lee says, yes. Sarah said, and so after this first visit with Ms. Wrighton, what did you recommend? What was your therapy and your discussions with her on how to work through this trauma that she had gone through? And Dr. Lee says, well, as I kind of mentioned, I mean, part of this, you know, the worry boxes and talking about worry. I'm a cognitive behavioral guy. So I like, you know, cognitive processing. I use the cognitive triad and some other things that she would probably recognize. And it's basically interplay between cognition, emotions, effect, and behavior. And if we want to change an outcome in some way, we have to change that triad in some way. So we have to figure out like, where we're going to get the best bang for our buck, so to speak, and change that area. And that would change the outcome. If you change two parts, you're going to change the outcome in a more profound way. If you change all three, you're going to have a completely different outcome. What we do know now is if we stay still, if we do nothing, then we're not really going to change the outcome. And so that's really kind of the crux of the therapy. Sarah says, so talking about this cognition, emotions, effect, and behavior, how does that play out with therapy? What do you do with Ms. Wrighton to help her through these emotions and figure out how to move forward and not be static? And Dr. Lee says, now I think part of it is deciding whether we are thinking on a rational level and whether we're using reason and knowledge, you know, to kind of inform how we're thinking and how we're doing. And so then you challenge the negative thoughts. You challenge those things that are holding you back and getting you to think in a negative way. You know, when it comes to the emotions and the effects, one of 
of the things that we know from literature is in the same way that we can look at somebody and we can tell how they're feeling, well, most of the time we can tell if somebody's sad, you know, based on how they're holding themselves. We can tell if somebody's happy. We can tell if they're angry. There's a lot of literature actually that shows that we can reverse that and it works in other ways too. So when we're feeling sad or when we're feeling down, if we are standing upright, if we have a more open posture, if we smile more, those are things that we actually start to feel better. If we're feeling anxious about being around other people socially, one of the things that we can also do is we can start thinking about that in a different way. So instead of actually focusing on the fear and how that limits us, because if we're putting that out, that's likely what we're going to get back in those situations. Instead of doing that, what we do is we actually see it as kind of an exciting opportunity. And so we take away those limits that sometimes can hold us back. And Sarah says, in your treatment of Miss Wrighton, have you seen improvement from when she arrived on that first day on November 25th of 2020? And Dr. Lee says, I absolutely have. I absolutely have seen improvement. In fact, for a long time, I was seeing her on a weekly basis. And then she started to get better. And we changed that up. And we were every other week and sometimes on a monthly basis. And that's often an indicator because when somebody's in crisis, you know, two weeks or even four, four weeks is not a good idea. And so I've definitely seen some improvement in that direction. Also, just so you know, Miss Wrighton was, she started delegating some things as opposed to just shouldering the burden herself, and I know that really helped. She enlisted support where she could. For a long time, she couldn't go to church. She was worried about going to her son's baseball game because she was so worried that somebody was going to be there and they were going to approach her or, you know, say something or even do something because she was even getting threats from some of those followers. And so she got to a point where, you know, she was able to go back to church and she found community in that area. She was able to go to her son's baseball game baseball games and practices. So yes, I definitely saw some improvement. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Sarah says, now we've talked some about the time frame when all of this, when all of the online posting began, and we can't ignore that it happened in the middle of a crisis, in the middle of a pandemic. And I anticipate there may be some questions as to whether or not there were stressors on Ms. Wrighton during that time that were pandemic related. And how do you respond to that? Dr. Lee says, well, first of all, I mean, I think that it was a ball of stress for a lot of us, but I do not believe that Ms. Wrighton would have actually come into my office even the first time if this other stuff was not happening. In fact, I think she waited for about two to two and a half months after she stopped her appointment to the point where I think that her symptoms were getting so severe and she said, I've got to do something. And so this was within the last 10 days before I saw her for the first time. And she said, I've just never experienced anything like this. I've never felt like this before and I really need some help. I think the two months that he's referring to might be the fact that I had quit two months prior because he does bring that time frame up a few times. Sarah goes on to say, in your treatment of Miss Wrighton, have you discussed other 
other things, other stressors in her life outside of the online posting that she's been the focus of. Dr. Lee says, yeah, I mean, which is very common. It's one of those things. In therapy, there's a consistent stream of kind of the presenting problem, and that's what you're dealing with. This was never really resolved. It was an ongoing thing. But there are always things that happen in life that kind of pop up and you need to deal with at that time. So absolutely, there were some of those things. And Sarah says, and I want to be clear that in your communications with Miss Wrighton, the first posting was on November 13th of 2020. Is that your understanding? And then Dr. Lee says, I know it was before I saw her. I don't recollect actually when it was. And then Sarah says, and in your reasonable medical probability, sitting here in front of the jury today, what was the triggering reason for Miss Wrighton's visits to you and the need for her therapy. And Dr. Lee says, it was because the posts that were made against her, the attack on her character, the threats that were being made against her by the people who were following those posts, and also just the fact that she really hadn't done anything to provoke that. You know, she felt like she was being attacked by people that she thought she knew and that she could trust. At this point, the defendant's attorney says, Your Honor, I'm going to object. Only a physician can give causation testimony. We've talked about that earlier today, this morning. The judge says, I thought that was in the context of a PA. Defendant's attorney says, It was, but the rule still applies. Only an actual physician can give causation testimony. That's the very testimony this witness is attempting to offer. The judge says, For a psychological condition? Overruled. And the reason that he said that, the judge, is because... Dr. Lee is a licensed psychologist. By definition, he is allowed to give causation testimony. And so that was a little bit of a comical objection, but nonetheless, it was overruled. Sarah goes on to say, I'm sorry, Dr. Lee, were you done with your answer? And he says, I think I am. And Sarah says, you've told us that for the few months of her treatment, you were seeing her weekly. Is that correct? Dr. Lee says, yes. Sarah says, do you recall when in your course of treatment that it decreased to less than weekly? Dr. Lee says, I think it was at the point when we started to get some momentum going with the hearings, with the depositions, it was the progress. I think that is actually whenever we started to kind of trail off and not meet as frequently. Sarah says, you You've told us 66 therapy sessions. Dr. Lee says, yes. Sarah says, from your first treatment with her on November 25th, 2020, I believe we have an exhibit and your honor, may we use the computers. What has been admitted as exhibit 118 is a listing of your treatment with her beginning on, like we've talked about, November 25th, 2020 through the last date of service that we've presented to the court of May 17th, 2022. And I believe the totals of that equal $10,500. Is that consistent with your understanding of your billing? And Dr. Lee says, yes. Sarah says, have you continued to see Miss Wrighton since May of 2022? And Dr. Lee says, yes, I mean more infrequently, but yes, just to kind of touch base. Absolutely. Sarah says, and like you've said, you've seen marked improvement in Miss Wrighton since that time. And Dr. Lee says, I have. And Sarah says, do you have plans with Miss Wrighton? Have you discussed your continued therapy with her? Dr. Lee says, not at length, but she has indicated that she wants to continue to meet, yes, you know, after this. And Sarah says, okay, and is it your recommendation that she continue her therapy with you? Dr. Lee says, until the point where she feels like it's not useful for her anymore. I do think that a lot of times when you get to the end of something that is traumatizing, it's one of those things that, again, that's where the healing begins. And so I do think that there will be a time when she's going to be done, but I think it would be good for her to continue for a little bit. Yeah. And Sarah says, and that is your goal, your hope. 
And Dr. Lee says, absolutely, always. Sarah says, Your Honor, at this time, I pass the witness. And then the judge says, thank you, cross-examine. And then the defendant's attorney says, Dr. Lee, my name is, and gives his name, I represent the defendant here. I think I have just a few questions for you. Are you familiar, doctor, with, and then he lists one of my blood pressure medications. And my therapist, Dr. Lee, says, yes. And then the defendant's attorney says, does it, as a side effect, typically cause dizziness and lightheadedness? And Dr. Lee says, when you say familiar, I recognize the medication, but I'm not a physician. I'm a psychologist. Defendant's attorney says, okay, do you know whether it typically causes tiredness? Dr. Lee says, I do not know that. Defendant's attorney says, depression. Dr. Lee says, I don't know, sir. Defendant's attorney says, nausea. Dr. Lee says, I don't know. Defendant's attorney, dry mouth. Dr. Lee, nope. Defendant's attorney, what about, and then he lists another medication. Dr. Lee says, I'm sorry. So then he repeats himself. And then Dr. Lee says, no, sir. And then defendant's attorney says, you're not familiar with that. And Dr. Lee says, nope. And then defendant's attorney says, okay, your honor, I have no further questions for this witness. And then Sarah says, your honor, we do not have any further questions and ask that this witness be excused. The judge says, all right, sir, you may step down. You're excused. I think the lawyers have your number though, in case we need in the unlikely event, we need to see you and recall you, you're excused. And Dr. Lee says, Thank you. Then the judge says, all right, plaintiff, call your next witness. And Sarah says, your honor, at this time, with the introduction of the exhibits into evidence and the reserving our right to cross-examine the witnesses called in the defendant's case in chief, we rest. The judge says, all right, counsel, approach for a second. And then they have a discussion. And then the judge says, all right, members of the jury, we have a brief matter I need to take up outside of your presence. So if you would excuse yourselves to the jury room for a few minutes, we'll be back with you in a little bit. Thank you. The jury leaves. And then the judge says, all right, let the record reflect that the jury has been excused to the jury room and we're outside the presence of the jury. You may be seated. Okay. Defendant's attorney, the plaintiff has rested on record. What do you have? Defendant's attorney says, your honor, I'd make a motion on behalf of the defendant at this time for a directed verdict to the extent that the plaintiffs have demonstrated a variety of ugly, tasteless, petty videos and posts, but they have not demonstrated defamation. They've not demonstrated libel or slander, your honor. And I would make motion on those grounds. The judge says, all right, thank you, sir. Motion is denied. So the judge was not going to be entertaining that motion. And then defendant's attorney says, I will open. The judge says, you're going to, you want to call your client in the morning. And then the defendant's attorney says, or I can call her this afternoon, judge. I'll call her first. The judge says, okay. So, and then you're going to call Miss Wrighton. Defendant's attorney says, yes. The judge says, and anybody else that you have in terms of live witnesses. Defendant's attorney says, just if we get a text message, we'll be bringing my prior business partner by video. That's just, I put out the last Hail Mary to get that testimony, judge. I don't think we'll get it, but... Then the judge says, okay, well, do you still want to make that proffer right now? Because my understanding is this is the witness that was not identified by your previous counsel. Since you've only been on the case since July, which we know is incorrect. I don't want to hang that on your neck, but my understanding is that this person was not identified in request for disclosure and that if she is allowed to testify, it would strictly be for rebuttal. So, I mean, we might be able to take care of that right now. If you make your offer of proof or tell me what she's going to rebut, I can rule on that just in the interest of efficiency, but I understand you're trying to get her on the phone. Defendant's attorney says, I don't know what plaintiff, excuse me, I don't know what plaintiff will testify to, Your Honor, so I'm not sure. Judge says, okay. Defendant's attorney says, I'm not sure what she would rebut specifically. The judge says, okay, well, I can withhold that ruling then. And if you don't get her on the line, then I guess it's a moot point because she wouldn't be testifying in any regard. But that issue is out there about whether she can testify. So, and defendant's attorney says, I understand. The judge says, we can take that up later. Okay, so you're going to call your client and Miss Wrighton, and then we'll take a brief recess to see if 
if anybody has gotten a hold of the potential Zoom witness, and that may be, so you might be resting this afternoon. The defendant's attorney says, yes, sir. The judge says, all right, I understand there's a couple of variables in there that you can't predict right now. Be that as it may, I'm probably going to send them home a little bit early so we can work on the charge. Defendant's attorney says, I'll do my best to be able to close today, judge. And then the judge says, and yeah, if you do, then we'll definitely stay and work on the charge so we can bring them back in the morning. So, all right, sheriff, bring them in. The jury comes back in and the judge says, all right, everybody be seated, please. Ladies and gentlemen, the plaintiffs have rested their case in chief. So now it is the defendant its turn. Defendant's attorney, would you like to make an opening statement? Defendant's attorney says, thank you, your honor. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, again, my thanks to you for being here. Burglary, robbery, assault, wrongful death, medical malpractice, horrific car wrecks, these are the sort of things that we typically associate with district court trial proceedings, jury trial proceedings. It's difficult for a person to reconcile those types of weighty gravitas holding events with mere words, Facebook posts, hurt feelings, and emotional reactions. We've all sat through the tedium of the comments in the video clips. I don't think any of that is lost on anyone here, but I'll tell you this. There are, in fact, three sides to every story. There's your side, there's my side, and there's what really happened. When my wife and I have a disagreement, agreement, she sees things through her eyes and I see things through my eyes, but then there's really what happened. My client is now going to get the opportunity to put on her case for you folks, and you're going to get the opportunity to decide for yourself what sort of weight ought to be accorded to the plaintiff's claims. We hope to demonstrate to you a couple of different things which may shed some light on those claims. In fact, I hope to show you five different things. Number one, the blame for the plaintiff's fear is misplaced. Number two, the statements are not defamatory. Number three, the reason for the initial suit is unusual. Number four, the plaintiff's high blood pressure claims and her ongoing health battles, these have gone on for a long time. And finally, this case is not the first case in which the plaintiff has left an employer disgruntled and sued them. Folks, like it or not, we live in a plugged-in world today. Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and all of these different social media platforms, they offer a lot of places for people to post and send mean, hateful things. That's unfortunate, but that doesn't mean jury verdicts are the way to address those issues. Sometimes banter and hyperbole, it goes too far. But is that really the stuff that warrants litigation? Again, if I demonstrate these five things to you, the blame for the fear is misplaced, the statements are not defamatory, the reasons for the initial suit are unusual, and the plaintiff's high blood pressure are related to her ongoing health battles, and this is not the first time she's done this, I'm hopeful that you'll return a verdict in favor of my client and against the plaintiff. Thank you very much for paying attention to me. And then at this point, Elizabeth says, Your Honor, may we approach? The judge says, yes. And then the judge says, all right, ladies and gentlemen, I need to excuse you to the jury room. And then he says, all right, it's 2.05 p.m. and the jury has been excused. And Elizabeth says, during the defendant's opening, there were two clear violations of the motions in limine that your honor granted before this trial. The judge says, you all may be seated. And Elizabeth continues, one of which is number 19, that the defendant or defendant's attorneys may not make any comment or statement regarding any prior lawsuits plaintiff may have been a part of, as well as in summary, he made two statements regarding the prior lawsuit that we're talking about. And it's a clear violation of the motion in limine. The judge says, in neither instance did either lawyer for the plaintiff object. And Elizabeth says, yes, your honor, but this is the objection that we're making here today. We would have to approach anyway if the objection were to be made. The judge says, no, you can stand up and say objection. That violates motion in limine. And that way you don't tell them what the motion in limine is about, but we all know. Elizabeth says, yes, your honor. The judge says, all right, defendant's attorney, do you have a response? We talked about this in 
in pretrial yesterday morning. This all revolves around, and I said that you were not to go into these matters unless and until I determined the admissibility of the testimony of the witnesses I told you you could call from Zoom, who is not being called now. And I told you that I didn't think there was anything about the prior job or firing. We specifically talked about a lawsuit. I specifically told you that after you advised me that the lawsuit had been settled, we talked about the fact that in all probability, you didn't have the paperwork. But we all know that money is paid in civil lawsuits only for a release that says there's no admission of guilt or culpability one way or the other. So the prior job, the prior lawsuit, I did not see the relevance of any of that. And I granted the motion in limine. I thought that was pretty clear. What's your response? Defendant's attorney says, Your Honor, I'm sorry, I misunderstood then. At the break when we were discussing, at lunch when we were discussing whether I would be able to get a hold of this witness, I specifically said I wasn't aware what she would be rebutting until I had cross-examined the witness. And I thought the court indicated that that was fine. Judge says, well, that's not the issue. The issue is whether you can refer to the prior job, the prior filing, and prior disputes. And I granted that motion in limine, and that was pretty clear. Defendant's attorney says, well, I'm sorry, judge. I apologize. I misunderstood. The judge says, all right, anything else? Elizabeth says, not to my knowledge, your honor. Well, actually, he did also mention, which was another motion in limine that was granted by your honor on Friday, that the initial reason for filing this suit, which was, again, goes back to a superseded pleading in this case. Judge says, well, I think there's already testimony in the record about why the lawsuit was filed. So that limine is kind of moot at this point. I mean, we'll see what the testimony elicited is about that. But I'm reiterating the fact that the motion in limine was granted with respect to the prior job, the prior work disputes, the lawsuit, the claim, the settlement. I have ruled, well, I granted the motion in limine, which meant that you were not supposed to talk about it until the relevance or the admissibility was determined outside the presence of the jury. And now you've told the jury about that, a clear violation of the motion in limine. I'm not quite sure what the sanction for that is going to be, but I'm going to carry this along. And then the defendant's attorney says, I'm sorry again, judge. And Elizabeth says, the judge says anything else. Elizabeth says, I don't believe so, your honor. The judge says, all right, bring them in. And I just want to pause here that that attorney knew exactly what he was doing. He had asked those questions of the judge in the last break. He knew what the ruling was. An attorney that is seasoned in that way, in my opinion, would not have just forgotten or misunderstood. And so he's truly trying to throw anything that he can out there against the wall to see if it sticks, because although the jury may be instructed to disregard something, they can't unhear it. And so now he has done what he sought out to do, in my opinion, and he has let the jury know that I have, quote, done this before. I don't know what the sanctions for that attorney ended up being, but a typical sanction for a violation of motion in limine is a $500 fine, but also can include jail time. So I'm not sure what happened there, but the judge did say that he was going to carry along the sanction. The jury comes back in and the judge says, all right, thank you. Please be seated. Defense, call your witness. And defendant's attorney says, I call defendant. And the judge says to the defendant, I'll remind you that you're still under oath. And defendant says, yes, sir. Judge says, you may proceed. Defendant's attorney, thank you, your honor. Defendant's attorney, defendant, would you reintroduce yourself to the jury, please? And she says, my name is, and says her name, I own her business, which originally started as, actually, I made deco mesh wreaths in the very beginning. And then I started taking pictures and then it turned into kind of a clothing brand. And now I consider myself someone who solves problems for curvy women. Defendant's attorney, can you tell the jury when you recall first meeting the plaintiff? Defendant, I think it was at Chi Omega Christmas Market. I'm sorry, I don't know if I'm supposed to look at y'all or not. She's speaking to the jury here. It was during 
Kai Omega Christmas Market in, I think, November of 2014. And I had walked past her booth and then she had said hi or whatever. And I was eating Cheetos. And I just wanted to hide from like all my customers and my employees and just take a break. So I went in her booth and sat down. There were like two partitions on each side so I could sit on this little bench. And then I talked to her for a little bit and I told her some stuff about her booth. Like if you move this around and this around, I bet it would help your flow of traffic. She did those things and said that they worked. And then I didn't put two and two together for years. Years, that that lady was the same lady in my office years and years later, but I mean, I was excited for it. And then technically, aside from that moment, I would say the first time I ever had real engagement with her was in 2018 when she used to come to my storefront, defendant's attorney. And when you say she used to come to my storefront, what do you mean by that? Defendant, so I have an online clothing company. Like I said, it's called, and then she gives the name. And originally we started selling something totally different, moved into clothing. And now anything that a woman has a problem with, if it's thin hair, I designed a crimper that will like pick your hair up off your head so you don't have to wash it as often. I make mom clothes look cuter, I guess. I try to provide an opportunity for curvy women to be able to shop somewhere that is boutique-like clothing where you don't have to wear like a 2X. It's not changing the size or anything. It's just thinking about the problems that women have. They wanted longer shirts, longer sleeves, or longer hemlines on their shorts. So I started designing clothes. And in doing that, we had a big warehouse in Roanoke and I had a storefront in 2015. And she would come to the storefront and shop with my other employee during the day sometimes. And I feel like I met her, met her at the birthday party for my store. And then she would go to the warehouse and like sit with them for a lot of time during the day, probably the end of 2018, beginning of 2019. And that's really when I started seeing like her coming around. Like I would say, who is that? Is that the same crystal lady that came to the birthday party that keeps coming to the warehouse and like hanging out all day. And they would say yes. And she seemed really nice. I didn't have an issue. Defendant's attorney, can you tell the ladies and gentlemen of the jury if you ever hired Crystal to work at your company? Defendant, yeah. So at the end of 2018, when she was coming to the storefront, there was another girl that worked there that kind of ran my operations for me. And she had, towards the beginning of 2019, started telling me that she thought that lady was like trying to take my business and run with it. And I had no issues with the other lady for six years prior. We had work together. Great. But once those thoughts get in your head and you think that, I mean, you see something through a different light, you know? And so eventually I ended up letting go of that other person. Like she had shown me pictures that this girl had taken, which really the pictures, it wasn't anything bad she was wearing. She had my clothes on in the picture. I just didn't know about the photo shoot. Anyway, so I ended up letting that girl go. And in the beginning of February, because Crystal had said she could like solve all the problems in one, she could handle all the things that girl was doing. Plus she could handle like creating me a budget for my store and making sure that I like ordered how much I was supposed to. So I'm going to pause here because the defendant has just said that her prior operations manager, that she let her go because I started telling her that that person was trying to take her business and all of these sorts of things. None of that is remotely the case. I have already shared in a prior episode the text messages that the defendant sent me whenever she told me that she was needing an operations manager. And she said, I need a new operations manager. And if you know anyone who would be a good fit, let me know. They need to be adult positive, smart, a team player, and diligent. They need to understand the why behind my business and support it. No sassy, ungrateful mouths. And then she goes on to say, they have to understand that loyalty means more to me than money or gold or all the tea in China, and that you have to be a good human being at work and outside of work. And I just said, that is not too much to ask one would think. Managing emphasis on employee or processes or both. And she says both. And one would definitely think. We have tons of processes in place. We used to have tons of employees that wouldn't follow them. They're gone now because of that. 
One asked, if defendant tells you what to do and how to do it and it works, why not do it? And the answer was basically we just did whatever we wanted. And so she is trying to say that I had been contacting her, telling her that this person was bad for her business, but I was doing nothing of the sort. And in fact, when she told me that she needed an operations manager, she was complaining to me, insinuating that the people that she had let go were not acting like an adult. They weren't positive. They weren't a team player and they weren't loyal. So once again, she is changing the narrative here under oath. Defendant goes on to say, all these different, basically, she was just like, you know, the savior that showed up and was going to save the day. And so you think like, okay, maybe this makes sense. And so in April, she wasn't working before that because she had just, I don't know. And then she says, your honor, am I allowed to say what before that? Her attorney says, no. Defendant goes on to say, okay, she wasn't working right before that because she had worked for somebody else and had settled something there. And right there, she is trying once again to bring in my prior lawsuit. She goes on to say, and so she had come to work for me and technically like the beginning of 2019, but wouldn't ever like be a full-time employee until around April of 2019. Sarah says, your honor, may we approach briefly? The judge says, you have an objection. Sarah says, I do, your honor. I believe the motion in limine has been violated. The judge says, okay, which one? Sarah says, I believe it's 19. The judge says, just tell me the topic. You can just tell me the topic. And Sarah says, I'm sorry, it's 19, 20, and 21 regarding prior employment. And the judge says, okay, Okay, sustained. The jury will disregard the last answer. You may proceed. So the defendant did violate that motion in limine by bringing that up, and the judge agreed with Sarah. Defendant's attorney says, what is a hate blog? Defendant says, so it's like a blog on the website that talks on the internet that talks about like famous influencers and people who have tons of followers. And they also talk about like some royalty figures like Meghan Markle, but mostly it's to talk about, it was originally created, I believe, to talk about like bloggers on the internet. Defendant's attorney, and have you been the topic of commentary on some of these hate blogs for some period of time as far as you know? Defendant, yes. Defendant's attorney, okay. And in August of 2020, can you tell the ladies and gentlemen of the jury what decisions you made about how you were going to handle those on a going forward basis? Defendant, so I knew that I was the topic of that website with 1,700 plus pages for years before August of 2020. I also knew, like, I'm just a normal mom from... I don't have any special talents. I barely, I graduated high school. I didn't go to college. Like I'm not a famous influencer. I've never wanted to be. And I've said that a million and 50 times. So it didn't make sense why there was like so many pages about me, but yet somebody who has a million followers has like 25 pages and they have a bunch of hate on their social media posts. And I didn't have a bunch of hate on my posts. So I just, it's like out of sight, out of mind. But plus, you know, it's going to be, it's beyond your realm. Like my counselor would always say like, you don't understand it because your brain doesn't think like that. Like, how can you sit here all day and talk about someone's life just nonstop? So I never looked at it. And so in August of 2020, when my employees would come to work and she would tell me all the things that the blog said, it started being like really personal stuff. So these, the posts that are on there about famous influencers say like, I hate her. She's fat. She's ugly. All this. My stuff was like very specific, like the kind of cancer my dad, not the kind of cancer, the kind of treatment that my dad had or which was something that on the blog was totally different than what my dad really had on purpose. And so it would say stuff like so specific to my life, like how much I had to pay on my lease overage for my Cadillac when I had said a totally different number. So in August, I told H and Crystal, I think I'm just going to sit down and read it. I never sat down for a long period of time and like read it, but y'all are telling me all this stuff. And it's so insanely like detailed about what's going on in my house. Maybe I just need to look at it so I can clear my mind and not feel so anxious. And then I ended up not 
looking at it for two months, and it took me like 20 minutes to figure it out. And Sarah says, Your Honor, objection to the description of what was in the blogs as it is hearsay. There are very specific blogs that have been entered into evidence and none describe what she just did. The judge says overruled. And just as a side note, in my opinion, it seems like the judge is not a huge fan of Sarah. And so I sometimes chuckle when I read this because he doesn't sustain very many of her objections. Defendant's attorney. That was August of 2020. Defendant, yes, sir. Defendant's attorney. And what happened on September 2nd of 2020? Defendant. So in August, I said I was going to sit down and read the blogs and I didn't yet. And then September 2nd, I found out that Crystal had left in the middle of the day. H had texted me and said she was gone. She left and she didn't know why. Defendant's attorney. Okay. Did that upset you? Defendant. No. And I wrote H back and told her in a text that it's okay. We'll figure it out. It's not a big deal. Defendant's attorney. Okay. And as of September 7th, what did you discover? Defendant. So that day, the day that Crystal left, I had sent her a text message that morning and said, hey, and I have it on my desk verbatim. I said something to the effect of, I'm going to call you in a little bit and ask you about some financial details because she was helping us with our house loan at the time. And I said, I found this CPA that I like. I appreciate your help. And I understand that's not in your wheelhouse and it's not under your job description. That was the last text message I sent to her before she left that day. Defendant's attorney. Okay. Defendant. And then she left and I didn't hear. I asked H like, is she okay? Should I go check on her? Is there anything wrong? Like her son is in my will. There's no reason she would just, she was just at my house for a 4th of July party. She had texted me the day before Crystal did and said, thanks for letting me help you with your house loan. As an aside, that is incorrect. That never happened. Defendant goes on to say, so I didn't think there was any kind of issue at all. Defendant's attorney, okay, then you go into October. Defendant, yes. So in August, I said I was going to read the troll blogs and I still didn't. And she left September 2nd. By October 21st, like I was just having so much anxiety about that stuff that was mentioned, especially like back in August. And in June, July, and August, a lot of stuff was mentioned that I had never said outside of my house or outside of a conversation with Crystal. And I still wasn't thinking at the time like this, you just don't know what it is. And I said, okay, I'm just going to sit down and read it. So August 21st, I sat down. I think she means October. I sat down and I read the troll blogs and it was freaking horrible. Defendant's attorney. And approximately two weeks later, November 6th, what did you do? Defendant says, well, back up because October 21st, I read the troll blogs. And then October 23rd, my friends started texting me saying that Crystal had deleted them. So by November 3rd, I sat down with another employee and I said, these are the things that are being written on the blog. I've only had these conversations with one person and it wasn't even her. And so I was asking her like, how could this be? Where would tell me I'm wrong? This information has to be wrong. And it just wasn't. I mean, it was like exact conversations that I had had with Crystal about my finances about how much my, like, I never told anybody how much my weekly check was because I felt like a glutton. And I'd even shared that with Crystal before. Like, please don't tell anybody how much money I make every week. I'm just going to pause here and say, I have never, ever, ever seen a post about the defendant's specific paycheck. I have only seen posts on Gomi or Reddit regarding her revenue numbers, which she freely speaks about in her stories. And also she had to turn her revenue numbers over to Inc. 5000 when she applied for that award. So that is a matter of public record. And and no posts were ever produced that showed how much her weekly check was. So she's testifying to this here, but in reality, nothing like that that I've ever seen exists. She goes on to say, exact information about my house loan, all that was on the blog. And so November 6th, we went to the police and we told them, like I told them about all the conversations that I had had just with Crystal and nobody else. And then like looking through all the posts, it seemed like certain people had like certain accounts that were on there would have certain information and they would like respond to themselves 
themselves almost. So it was like the same couple of accounts that kept talking back and forth, but they knew like the same quantity of information, if that makes sense. Like they would know exact financial details, whereas there may be other people that just get mad whenever they don't get a refund or something, but they're not, they're just, they're just not saying things like, you know, what my dad's cancer treatment is or that my dad, he's going to die and it's going to be my fault or I'm going to circle the drain and they can't wait till I shave all my hair off and go crazy. And we should drive by her house and take pictures or create fake Facebook profiles and harass her online. Even the owner got online or eventually on the blog and was like, stop saying you're going to create fake accounts to go troll her or stop talking about her private Instagram. She removed like tons of pages saying they were talking about my private Instagram. I'm going to pause here and I'm going to share the post that the owner of Gomi actually said in reality. What she said was, stop posting info about her house in public records info or kiss this thread goodbye. So the owner of Gomi did not say anything about the defendant's private Instagram. The owner of Gomi said, don't post public record documents, which includes information about her home loan. Defendant goes on to say, but these posts were, it wasn't just a matter of like saying you're not a nice person. I could handle that. I have super thick skin. My whole business has been built on being kind to people on the internet. This is like really horrible stuff. Like if her dad dies, it's all her fault because she didn't get chemo for six months, but nobody knew why I didn't get the chemo for six months except for her. So it's like you read it and you're like this, what do you do? You know, like it's like the loss of a friendship, but also like like, are you serious? Like, I relied on you to guide me in some of these situations that you're like directly talking about in the blog. Like, I asked you what I should do. And now you're talking about it, telling me like I made the wrong choices in the chemo treatments. And eventually, like in August, I had, like I said, with my lease on my car, I had set a different amount just to see if it was going to be written about. And it was. And I guess like all the pieces started clicking together. So we went to the police and told them everything that was going on and showed them like, here's a direct conversation conversation that I've had. Here's the exact post. Sarah says, Your Honor, I'm sorry to interrupt. Objection as to hearsay. There are very specific posts that have been entered into evidence, and she has gone outside of those posts in describing what unnamed people have said. Then the defendant says, there's 1,700 pages. The judge says, you'll have an opportunity to argue that. And Sarah says, thank you, Your Honor. Defendant says, once again, there's 1,700 pages. The judge says, ma'am, there is not a question on the table. Wait for the question. I'm going to instruct you not to make spontaneous statements that are not in response to a question. Then the defendant says, well, she was saying that I didn't. And then the judge yelled. He said, excuse me? Then the defendant said, oh, okay, I didn't understand. I thought she was, okay, yes, sir. And then the judge says to the defendant's attorney, go ahead. The defendant's attorney says, do you believe today as you're sitting here in front of the jury that those posts are still happening? Defendant says, yes, every single day. Defendant's attorney says, and lastly, can you tell the jury when you were served in this case? Defendant says, November 25th, the day before Thanksgiving. And then the defendant's attorney says, okay, your honor, I passed this witness. In my opinion, at this point, the defendant had been warned by the judge on four separate occasions. And if you'll notice, directly after the last warning where the judge really did yell, he raised his voice and yelled at her. Immediately, the defendant's attorney stops questioning her. I wonder if at this point, he just wanted to get her off the stand so that the judge would not be annoyed with her anymore and it wouldn't look bad in front of the jury. I don't know that for a fact. It's just an observation based on logic that I have. And I just find the timing a little bit interesting. Also, the last question that he asked when she was served 
the day before Thanksgiving, the defendant has said that I served her on purpose that day. And is it a coincidence that I served her on the same day that I started seeing my therapist? And there is no correlation whatsoever other than coincidence. But he did bring that up as his last question. The judge says, cross-examine, and Sarah says, thank you, your honor. Defendant, you say that there's 1,700 pages of these troll blogs that you've said were created by my client. That's your testimony today. Defendant, no, my testimony is not that they were all created by your client. My testimony was in response to what you said. There was more posts outside of what I submitted into evidence, 1,700 pages of multiple threads or multiple comments on one page. So it would be impossible for me to try to provide you every single post ever made. Sarah, and you haven't done that, have you? Defendant, I've provided a lot of them, Sarah. And in fact, you cannot tell the ladies and gentlemen of the jury each post that you allege made comments about you. You cannot tell them who made these posts. Defendant, what do you mean? Sarah, you don't know who made these posts. Defendant, I only had a conversation with one person. Sarah, so it is your testimony today that there are 1,700 pages of posts on GoMe that include comments by my client, Crystal. Defendant, my testimony is there's 1,700 pages on GoMe that include comments from Crystal, yes. Sarah, and you determined that those comments were from Crystal by what you believe you told her, is that right? Defendant, yes. I'm not saying she made all 1,700 pages. I'm saying exact conversations I've only had with her and not another human being on the planet were directly posted about, talked about in deep detail on that website. Sarah, and it's your allegation today that you did not make those comments to anyone else. Defendant, you're absolutely correct. Sarah, and it's your testimony earlier that you did not even make these comments to your husband. Is that true? Defendant, on some of the subjects, I did not. Sarah, did you talk about the lease of your vehicle with your husband? Defendant, I didn't tell he knew the 9,000 number, she knew the 7,000 number. I just want to pause here because she is saying two numbers, $9,000 and $7,000 for the lease of her vehicle. What she is talking about here is it was time to turn in her vehicle. She had leased it. She was over the miles and there was going to be a dollar amount that she was going to have to pay because she was over her miles. The defendant never gave me a number. Ever. I was doing cash projections and I kept asking, what is the ballpark for this? And at some point I put in a placeholder of 10,000. And when I said I put this placeholder in of 10,000, one of them indicated it might be more. So I went ahead and just for cash flow purposes, doubled it to 20,000. And I have text messages that show that I had estimated the 10,000 and the 20,000 number. And I communicated that with both of them. Nowhere did the defendant ever tell me anything about 7,000 or 9,000? The numbers that I was always going off of were either 10,000 or 20,000. And that is what I had in my cash projections. So she's saying this here, but in reality, this never happened. Sarah goes on to say, and I assume you took that post to the police department to show them that exact post that you claim was crystal. Defendant, I could, I could, you have the police record. I couldn't tell you exactly which post. They were printing them off as well. Sarah says, and ma'am, my question was a little more specific. You then took that post to the police department. Is that true? Defendant, I can't tell you which post. I took a lot of posts. Sarah, okay. So when you refer to the specific one that you say you only had that conversation with my client and only my client, that is one that you gave to the police department to say that this is Crystal Wrighton. Defendant, I don't know which ones I did, but that was not the only one either. 
Sarah, all right. And I was just asking for that one. And my question is, did you take that one to the police department to say, this is one where I know it is her? Defendant, of the thousands of comments that are on that blog, I couldn't tell you if that's one, but you have the police report right there. So if you find it in there, I will absolutely say that I did. I don't know why not to. And Sarah says, in the documents that you brought, you would have. It makes sense that you would have taken the one that you say, I know that Crystal made this post because she's the only one in the world who would have known this information about my lease. Defendant, I don't understand where you're going or what your question is. Sarah says, I'll ask it in a different way. I'm sorry. You've told us that you know that it was Crystal who made that post because of the information provided in that, correct? Defendant, uh uh-huh. Sarah, is that right? Defendant, yes. Sarah, and so that is one of the 1,700 pages that includes comments that you told the jury you know she did that she committed, right? Defendant, correct. Sarah, in trying to investigate who was making these posts, you would have taken that to the Bartonville police, correct? Defendant, I may not have taken that exact post to the Bartonville PD because there have been thousands of posts over the last several years and a lot of them that I've only had the conversations with her. Sarah, uh uh-huh. And so in the investigation into your allegations that you brought forth to the town of Bartonville, you would have wanted to do everything you could to make sure they saw the records. They saw the posts that you say were my client, Crystal Wrighton. Defendant, no. I see what you're saying now. No, that's not true. I didn't bring them every single post because they told me flat out this was a civil matter and that it was an open and shut civil case considering all I'd shown them so far. And they needed the IP addresses if I wanted to, if they, if I wanted to pursue it criminally. I had to provide the IP addresses, which we have asked for and for some reason can't get. Sarah, just a civil matter actually ended up being an almost 200-page investigation by the town of Bartonville, would you agree? Defendant, correct. Sarah, and so they actually did take your complaints and concerns seriously and didn't just think that this was a civil matter. They did an investigation. Defendant, oh, I don't think they think it's just a civil matter. They said they need the IP addresses and they requested them as well. Sarah, and if they'd requested them, you would expect that to be in this. Defendant, you would, but they've been blocked. Sarah, and I'm sorry, you would expect them to be in the Bartonville police file. Defendant, no. Sarah, and in fact, it is my understanding that you have not brought into this case any of the posts that you believe were my clients doing. Defendant, wait, say that again. Sarah, in your case in chief, where we are right now, I have yet to see any posts that you have brought to the jury to show them that you believe it was my client. Is that true? Defendant, that's not true. Sarah, defendant, you live your life in front of a camera. Defendant, correct. Sarah, you have told us repeatedly that you value the transparency that you have with your internet followers. Is that right? Defendant, correct. Sarah, you have told us repeatedly you share with them because you want to empower this community. Defendant, correct. Sarah, this community of women who don't always have advocates, is that right? Defendant, no, some of them have advocates. I didn't say that. Sarah, okay. I know. I'm asking you that question. Okay, but you feel you have a connection with these women. Defendant, yes. Sarah, and they are part of, I'm going to keep saying it, your community, your internet friends. Defendant, correct. Sarah, and in doing so, you get online sometimes for more than an hour at a time every day and share the details of your life. Defendant, incorrect. I go weeks without talking sometime. I'm going to pause here because since the beginning of this lawsuit, at least since my legal team was tracking the defendant's social media presence, there has never been weeks 
at a time where the defendant has not posted. In fact, I have a calendar showing the dates of just the defamatory posts. Nowhere in this calendar that starts in November of 2020 and ends in July of 2022 were there ever weeks at a time where there is not a day that has a noted defamation post on it. So at no point were there weeks that she did not talk on the internet. Sarah, okay, and then after the weeks without talking, you would then talk a lot more than two hours sometimes. Defendant, not necessarily. Sarah, the conversation you claim that you would have only had with Crystal, there were others that were involved in that as well. Defendant, no. Sarah, my client's testimony yesterday was that there were many times where there were a number of your employees gathered together where you would have these conversations. Defendant, and your client's testimony was incorrect. Sarah, okay. Defendant, the sentences that I've said that I've only talked to Crystal, I've truly only talked to Crystal about those subjects. Nobody else would know, not even her husband. Sarah, and we don't have any of those posts in front of us today, do we? Defendant, I don't know. I tried to submit them and I was told that you guys blocked a lot of that stuff. Sarah, they're not here today, are they? Defendant, not by my doing. Sarah, and again, if they aren't in the Bartonville police file, then it's something that you didn't provide to the Bartonville police department. Is that true? Defendant, I couldn't tell you like what, like I said before, what all they included in their report. I do not know. Sarah, so you believe that my client began posting about you in 2012. Is that correct? Defendant, 2014. Earlier, the defendant did testify that it was 2012, but here she's saying 2014. And so Sarah says 2014. And she began, I think your testimony earlier was that she began posting about you. You met her in 2014, but she began posting about you in 2012. That was your testimony earlier today. Defendant, so there were posts from April 22nd, 2012 from the same account that then posted in 2022 or 2020 about me that had totally different information. But that main account that she posted from that you referenced earlier, Tits and Teeth, made their first post January 19th of 2014. Sarah, but that wasn't, and I understand your testimony, I appreciate it, but defendant, my question was, you allege that my client began, that she began posting about you in 2012. Is that true? Defendant, I think that, here's the problem. The original posts that were on the very first page of that website have now been deleted. The earliest post I can see as of now that I know is from the accounts that I spoke to her about was from 2014. And then Sarah says, your honor, I'm sorry, objection, non-responsive. The question called for a yes or no. And the judge said sustained. The jury will disregard the last answer. Sarah goes on to say, your testimony earlier today was that my client began posting about you in 2012. Is that correct? Defendant, I believe she is the account that posted in April 22nd, 2012. Forgive me if I'm wrong. I provided it. Sarah, and so it is your belief that my client then began this campaign beginning in 2012 before she met you in person through her employment with you. Is that right? Defendant, what's the question? That she began the yes. Sarah, she continued these postings before she worked with you from 2012 when you met her in 2014. Is that right? Defendant, I'm more comfortable going with January 19th of 2014 because that's the account you referenced earlier and that's the account that I've had the most conversations with her that were just with her. Sarah says, and again, Your Honor, I object as non-responsive and this time the judge says overruled. Sarah goes on to say, my question for you though, defendant, is that you've told us that you believe she began posting in 2012. Is that true? Defendant, how do you say yes or no to that? No. Sarah, even though you testified earlier that she began posting about you in 2012, 
12, your now, it's your testimony that you believe it began sometime in 2014. Defendant, no. Okay, I believe that the account that posted April 22nd, 2012 was Crystal Wrighton. Yes, we can say that. Sarah, and so she continued these posts when you first met her in the fall of 2014, according to you. My client believes it's a little bit later, but your testimony is 2014. Defendant, yes. Sarah, and then continuing during this time from 2014 when she met you until your testimony when she actually began having a presence in your store sometime in 2018. Defendant, yes. Sarah, and then it continued after buying your clothes and becoming friends with people at your warehouse, your employees, going to pick up clothes at your warehouse. She continued these postings through 2018. Defendant, through 2022. Sarah, I'll get there. So through 2018, is that correct? Defendant, correct. Sarah, and then she comes to you. You offer her a job in 2019, correct? Defendant, but I have no idea. Sarah, and that's my question. You offer her a job in 2019, correct? Defendant, correct. Sarah, and it's your testimony here today that she continued to post in these hate-filled blogs about you. Defendant, correct. Sarah, and then it's your testimony that this continued throughout her entire employment with you from 2019, May or April of 2019 through September of 2020. Defendant, correct. Sarah, and it's your testimony today that she then continued these postings through even today's date was your testimony today. Defendant, I haven't seen anything today. Sarah, okay, but it's your testimony today that my client has continued posting about you. Defendant, absolutely yes. Sarah, what we do know is that you have continued posting about my client. Is that right? Defendant, correct. Well, about the situation that I'm in. Sarah, and the situation that you're in is that you allege that my client stalked you. Defendant, correct. Sarah, which is a crime, right? Defendant, yes. Sarah, a crime that you went to the police about. Defendant, yes. Sarah, and you have continued to tell your story about being stalked by my client to your community, to a community that she was involved in to this day. Defendant, yes. Sarah, you have continued this campaign to harm my client's reputation. You called her a stalker, correct? Defendant, that's what it is. It sounds so bad and so far-fetched. And if it wasn't true, that would be so much better. But I have no reason to say that. Literally, this is what it is. Sarah, and she's never been arrested or convicted of stalking, has she? Defendant, allow me to have that. Is that a yes or no question? Sarah, yes, ma'am. Defendant, no. Sarah, you've accused her of continuing after she left your employment to go inside your phone and remove text. Defendant, no. Sarah, that is not. You've never posted that. Defendant, I did not. No, no. I never said. I never thought that. So I never said that. I didn't. know. Sarah, if the statements go back to the jury that say that you, you would agree that that was your post. Defendant, I have never said Crystal got into my iCloud. I didn't say Crystal got into my iCloud. I would not say that. Sarah, and I didn't say iCloud. I said she deleted your text because you did say she deleted your text. Defendant, no, I said her thread was deleted. I did not say Crystal deleted them. I said Crystal's text message thread was deleted from my phone that same week we went to the police and her name was suddenly saved with no emojis under her husband's text messages. Sarah, you've called my client names, haven't you? Defendant, I've said what? Yes. Sarah, you've called her a mongrel. Is that right? Defendant, I probably was talking about trolls in general, but... Sarah, I think your exact testimony, excuse me, your exact posting yesterday was in reference to the two mongrels telling your story about how you had been stalked and how someone had stolen your information. And that's the story that you continue to tell about my client. Isn't that true? Defendant, no. Sarah, you've told repeatedly that my client had at least nine of what you call these troll accounts. Is that right? Defendant, I sat down and we went through all of those. Then the judge says, that's a yes or no question. She said, is that right? Defendant says yes. Then the judge says, please answer the question that's on the table and do not engage in spontaneous statements without a question. Go ahead. 
And Sarah says, you have tagged people from my client's church when talking about her. Defendant, no. Sarah, you've never mentioned in your post that to watch out to the people of my church where you know my client goes to church. Defendant, am I allowed to explain that or just say yes or no? Sarah, it's a yes or no question, ma'am. Defendant, say the question again. Sarah, yes, ma'am. Are you disagreeing with the evidence that shows that you identified my church where my client goes and warned them about my client, Crystal, by name? Defendant, yes. Sarah, and you did that. Defendant, if it's on that post you showed, then I did. Sarah, and you did that to let not just your online community know, but her church community know. Defendant, no. Court reporter says, pardon me. And then the defendant says, no. Sarah says, you've called her Lucifer, haven't you? Defendant, yes. Sarah, you've called her a hate-filled, disgusting psychopath. Defendant, probably. And I know I'm not a doctor, so I'm sorry, but what is this? Sarah, and you did all of this because it's your, you have told the ladies and gentlemen of the jury that she is the one who was posting on these accounts. Defendant, say it again. Sarah, you've done this because you have repeatedly told your community that she is the one who posted on these accounts. Defendant, yes. Sarah, you've threatened her that when she goes out in public, people know because of what you've told them. Is that right? Defendant, I said that in the video. Sarah, that everywhere she goes, she needs to be wondering if people know. Defendant, no, I did not say that. Sarah, if there's a finding that you defamed my client, will you stop posting? Defendant, I don't have a choice. Sarah, so that's a no, you won't stop posting about my client? Defendant, if the court tells me I have to, then I have to. Sarah, the court will be asking for the jury will be determining whether or not you've defamed my client. Do you understand that? Defendant, I've never said anything that I thought was false. Sarah, if a jury says that you're liable, they can't tell you to stop. That's not part of what this process is about. But if you are found liable today, will you stop posting about my client? Defendant, obviously, if they, like I said, same answer, if they tell me I have to. I don't know if I'm allowed to say yes or no or like ask for the IP address. Sarah, have you ever accused anyone else of being a troll? Defendant, what do you mean? Sarah, have you ever accused another person of posting on these hate posts? Defendant, well, like I've had customers, like I've had people over the last 10 years say, hey, I made a post, I tried to retract it, they won't let me. So I've known people before that have written on that site. They didn't know the information that those accounts know. Sarah, are you aware of an account called Teacher and a Troll? Defendant, no, I am not. Sarah, that's not an account that you created to harm another teacher who posted unkind things on your website? Defendant, you just said that I created? Sarah, yes, ma'am. Defendant, absolutely not. I'm going to pause here, and we've already seen this in a prior episode where I have text messages where the defendant texted myself and her husband that she had created this account on Instagram called I'm a Teacher and a Troll, where she listed the teacher's phone number also in the account name, and that she had contacted this teacher's principal and superintendent or something to that effect. And so I have already shown this before that I have the text messages that she sent us saying that she did that. But here under oath, she is saying that she has never done that and acts as if she has no idea what Sarah is talking about. Sarah goes on to say, you've also accused your husband of hacking into your system as you've claimed that my client has done as well. Defendant incorrect. Sarah, you have not accused your husband of that? Defendant, you said I have accused my husband of hacking into my system that I've accused your client of, and that's incorrect. Sarah, okay, but you have made accusations that you believe that he is hacking into your iCloud account. Defendant, no, I never said that. 
Sarah says, Your Honor, may I approach the exhibits, please? Sarah said, please, ma'am, I'm sorry, sir. And then the judge says, no, not if you're going to call me ma'am. Sarah says, fair enough, fair enough. The judge says, you may. And Sarah says, thank you, your honor, I'm sorry. And then Sarah says, your husband is a senior software engineer, is that correct? Defendant, I'm not sure what his job title is. Sarah, that's his training though, in software, as a software engineer. Defendant, yes. Sarah, and he's told you on a number of occasions that he can hack into servers, is that right? Defendant, correct. Sarah, and in fact, you've made the allegations that he has hacked into your ring account. Is that correct? Defendant, correct. That's not an allegation though. Sarah, ma'am, is that true? Defendant says, you said it's an allegation. Sarah says that your husband has hacked into your ring account. Defendant, but doesn't an allegation mean that you don't have proof that they did it? And Sarah says, fair enough. In fact, you've also stated that text messages, pictures, videos, and voice recordings are deleted from my phones on a daily basis. Accusing your husband of doing that, is that correct? Defendant, no. So what Sarah is referencing here is a sworn affidavit that was posted on Reddit in January of 2022, where the defendant is accusing her husband of those things. So that's coming directly from that sworn affidavit. But again, here under oath, during the trial, the defendant is saying that that is not true, that she never said that. Sarah goes on to say, you have gone on a campaign to injure my client, haven't you? Defendant, no. Sarah, no. You don't agree with me when we provide evidence that you have told your community of followers, your 20,000 followers, that my client has committed crimes, that my client has been stalking you? Defendant, is that a question? Sarah, yes, ma'am. Defendant, can you say the question? Sarah, sure. Your campaign against my client is to inform your followers as to the fact that you have stated my client is a felon. Defendant, I don't have a campaign. I'm being sued for something for telling what was done to me. I don't have a campaign. I don't have any. I've never had a bone in my body to do something like this. Sarah, 358 statements as to my client, you admitted to those, right? Defendant, no, I admitted to saying the sentence, but saying the devil works hard, but I work harder, or today is a crazy day, doesn't say that I said that about Crystal. Sarah, and we all have those into evidence. More than 100 live videos that reference my client. Defendant, no. Sarah, hundreds of hours of video that include references to my client. Defendant, no. You say I did it, but I didn't. And at this point, Sarah says, your honor, pass the witness. And the judge asks defendant's attorney if he would like to redirect. And defendant's attorney says, with respect to the Bartonville Police Department report that you made, if you got the IP addresses, do you have any reason to believe that you could take them to the police department. Defendant, absolutely yes, I pray every day. Defendant's attorney, as far as you're concerned, that is still an open issue. Defendant, yes. Defendant's attorney, okay, no further questions, judge. And Sarah says, nothing further, your honor, thank you. The judge says, ma'am, you may step down, call your next witness. And then the defendant's attorney says, I call the plaintiff, your honor. And I walk up to the witness stand and the judge says, all right, you're still under oath. And I say, yes, sir. And then he says, you may have a seat. And then the defense attorney says, Ms. Wrighton, you've testified that you and your husband were frightened of people who saw or read the defendant's post or comments. Is that correct? And I said, yes. Defendant's attorney, and your husband testified that there's never been a situation where he had to confront any of those viewers. Did you hear that testimony earlier today? And I said, yes, I did. Defendant's attorney, how about yourself? Have you ever had to do that? 
And I said, I have not had anyone confront me in person. Defendant's attorney, okay. And you haven't had any interaction with the plaintiff. I'm sorry, the defendant, since you quit the company, have you? And I said, correct. Defendant's attorney, so you haven't experienced any fear as a result of running into her or being threatened by her specifically related to any physical confrontation with her. Is that correct? And I said, let me clarify. I did pass her vehicle one time as her business is in my neighborhood, 0.3 miles. I did, I believe, pass her vehicle. She subsequently posted about that. Defendant's attorney, okay. And in fact, the extent that you've harbored any fear, it's a result of people that post, post comments on her posts. Isn't that correct? And I said, that's part of it. I'm concerned that I may run into her at some point locally at the store or wherever I might go. Defendant's attorney, now it's not illegal to create an anonymous Instagram or Facebook post, is it? And I said, not to my knowledge. Defendant's attorney, okay, so a reference to somebody as a troll, that's not accusing somebody of doing something illegal or immoral, is it? And I said, referencing that someone's a troll, defendant's attorney, correct? And I said, no, that's not necessarily accusing someone of a crime. Defendant's attorney says, your honor, may we approach? And the judge says, yes, and they have a discussion off the record. And then the defendant's attorney says, can you tell the jury when you were first diagnosed with high blood pressure? And I said, I was first diagnosed with high blood pressure actually after the birth of my daughter, which she's 22. So it has been a long-term condition. I first developed pregnancy-induced hypertension and then it kind of lingered after. And so I have been on medication for my blood pressure for at least 22 years. Defendant's attorney, did doctors give you any indication what caused that high blood pressure? And I said, they think a mix of hereditary and probably my weight. Defendant's attorney, at that time, did they give you any medication? And I said, yes. Defendant's attorney, and since then, have you had to have that medication changed on a number of different occasions. And I said, yes, I have had my medication changed. Defendant's attorney, and your current blood pressure medications, those are beta blockers. Is that correct? And I said, I don't know the answer to that. I'm sorry. Defendant's attorney, have you ever talked to your doctor about side effects associated with either of those drugs? And I said, not really that I can recall. Defendant's attorney says, okay, your honor, no further questions from this witness. And then Elizabeth says, I have just a brief redirect, your honor. And then Elizabeth says, Miss Wrighton, this fear that you felt for your family and for your safety, why was that? And I said, I feared as the comments that we've seen that someone might come to my house. In my experience, the online community was very dedicated and I didn't know what may or may not happen as a result of the comments they were making. And Elizabeth says, in these posts that the defendant was making, was it fueling this fire with her followers? And I said, it seemed to, in my reading of it and understanding and logic, yes. Elizabeth says, and at any point on any of the posts that you have seen, has the defendant told them to stop with these comments? And I said, I have never seen the defendant tell people to stop commenting what they're commenting with the threats and things like that. I have never seen that. Elizabeth says, and do you have any accounts on Gomi? And I said, no, never have I ever had an account on Gomi me ever. And Elizabeth says, and have you ever had an account on Reddit? And I said, connected to my Gmail account. I have never posted on Reddit. I have never posted on Gomi and I do not have accounts on Gomi. Elizabeth says, no further questions, your honor. I pass the witness. And then the defendant's attorney says, no further questions, judge. And then the judge says, all right, thank you, ma'am. You may step down. And then the judge says, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be in recess until 3.20. And then the judge says, all right, let the record reflect that the jury is not present and has been sent to the jury room, but we are still here in the presence of the parties and counsel. And defendant's attorney, I understand you want to make an offer of proof with 
respect to some testimony from Ms. Wrighton, is that correct? Defendant's attorney, yes, sir, judge. The judge, come on up, ma'am. And then defendant's attorney says, and I'll be very brief. And the judge says, you may sit down, you're still under oath. And then he says, all right, this is the defendant's offer of proof regarding a matter that we discussed at the bench outside the presence of the jury, and which was, as I understand it, the subject of my previous expression to counsel that the motion in limine with respect to the prior employment situation had been violated. Go ahead. Defendant's attorney, Ms. Wrighton, who is my ex-business partner. And I said, she is my former business partner. Defendant's attorney, and she owns a company called, company name, is that correct? And I said, yes. Defendant's attorney, and you worked there for that company for a period of time, is that correct? And I said, yes. Defendant's attorney, when was that? And I said, we worked together. It was around five and a half years. I believe I left in January of 2018. So I'm sorry, around approximately 2013. Defendant's attorney, and did your business partner ever offer you an ownership interest in that company? And I said, yes. Defendant's attorney, did you accept that? And I said, yes. Defendant's attorney, and how much of an ownership interest did you receive? And then I went over the details of my partnership. And then the defendant's attorney says, okay, why did you leave the company? And I said, I left because she and I had different visions about the future of the company. Additionally, my daughter became pregnant as a senior in high school and working with my business partner and building the business for five and a half years required a lot of hours. And it was very clear that I had been neglecting my family and I needed to handle that personal situation. Defendant's attorney, and what happened after you left the company? And I said, okay, after I left the company, my business partner and I initially discussed that she was going to buy my shares and there was a dispute about that and that warranted me needing to take legal action as there was a breach of our operating agreement. Defendant's attorney, and what was the nature of the dispute? And I said the amount of money I was owed, there was a debt also that I was needed to be repaid and the amount of money for my shares. Defendant's attorney, and how did you learn that your business partner was not going to pay you the money that you thought you were owed? And I said there was email correspondence. And the defendant's attorney said, okay, I'm sorry, there was what? And I said email correspondence between she and I. Defendant's attorney, okay, and what happened after you got that email correspondence from her? And I said, there was a series of it, and ultimately it was very evident that we were not going to be able to resolve it, and so I contacted an attorney to get the issue resolved. Defendant's attorney, okay, and is that the same attorney that reached out to keep my ex-business partner from being here today? And I said, I believe my ex-business partner's attorney reached out to my attorney, and they had some correspondence, but yes, it's my same attorney. Defendant's attorney, okay, that's all the questions I have, Your Honor. The judge says, all right, and that's your proffer of testimony for your bill. Is that right? Defendant's attorney, yes, sir. The judge says, any objection to the testimony that's been elicited in this hearing? Elizabeth says, your honor, we believe I do have an objection. We believe it is irrelevant that this prior lawsuit is completely irrelevant and the testimony did not elicit anything that would directly correlate with that lawsuit with the one we're here for today. Judge says, what's the relevance? Defendant's attorney. Defendant's attorney says, I believe the relevance is, Your Honor, that this is not the first time the plaintiff has left a job disgruntled and sued an employer. The judge says, okay, and that bears on what issue in this case? Defendant's attorney, that bears on the manner in which it goes to her credibility as it relates to her claim concerning how frightful and fearful and so forth that she has been as a result of this incident. The judge says, I'm sorry, you just said two different things. I thought you said that it's relevant because it's the manner in which she left a prior job. Defendant's attorney says it goes to her credibility, Your Honor. The 
the judge says, your first point, wouldn't I have to find that she is credible and believable to relate it to the prior incident? If she's not credible on this point, then you don't have any. And then the defendant's attorney says, that's a conundrum I cannot explain, your honor. The judge says, I sustain your objection on the lack of evidence, but I'm not convinced there's any relevance anyway. So the request to offer this testimony in front of the jury is denied. Is there any other matters before the jury comes back? Elizabeth says, no, your honor. Defendant's attorney says, no, sir. The judge says, and do you have anything else? Defendant's attorney, no, sir. The judge says, we got all your exhibits and evidence that you want in. And defendant's attorney says, yes, sir. The judge says, all right, so you're going to rest is the plaintiff going to close when they rest? And Sarah says, yes, your honor. Elizabeth says, I just want a clarification on the exhibits that he plans on admitting. I believe it's just the Bartonville PD file. Is that correct? Defendant's attorney says, yes, sir. The judge says, well, that's a good point because I don't know that we have admitted any defense exhibits. Do you want to go ahead and take care of that? We can make your ruling and we can rule on that before the jury comes in and then we'll put it on the record. You're only offering exhibit two. Is that correct? Defense exhibit two. Defendant's attorney, yes, sir, judge. And I provided it to the court reporter yesterday. The judge says, no, the court reporter doesn't have anything that's been admitted. And then defendant's attorney says, may I approach the court reporter? And the judge says, yes, we need your exhibit. And is there any objection? I guess it's a flash drive with Bartonville PD case file in pages one through 175. Elizabeth says, I believe we have an objection to a specific statement that is in the case file. The case file as to H, she made a statement in that case file that we believe is hearsay. The judge says, well, I need to see it. Somebody needs to show it to me. Check that flash drive and make sure that it is what it's been represented to be, which is Bartonville PD case file pages one through 175. Check that. And then I need from you, Elizabeth, Elizabeth, what part of that you're objecting to so I can rule on it? And Elizabeth says, yes, your honor. And then at this time, the court reporter checks the USB drive. And what was on the USB drive was not what the defendant's attorney was saying was on there. He was saying that it was the police report, which was just the paper copies. But the only thing that was on that thumb drive was the police video of H when the defendant lied to her and told her that the FBI had confirmed that I had nine profiles, lied to her and said that she had IP addresses connecting me to all of these profiles and then convinced H to meet her at the police station. So that police interview video was what was on that thumb drive. And because there was a statement of here say in that video, it was not supposed to be introduced. And I believe the statement of hearsay was when H said that I concur that it would have to be her or someone close to her when she was questioned. And we've gone over that in a prior episode. And it was also in the defendant's response to H's intervention in the lawsuit. So basically, the defense attorney has kind of tried to pull a fast one over on the court and enter in a file that was previously decided that it could not be in. And so at this point, after this discussion, the defendant's attorney says it's withdrawn. And the judge says, all right, what I have on your list as number two was these pages one to 175. Do you have that? Defendant's attorney says, no, sir, I had the video and the video we're withdrawing that. And the judge says, so number two is out. Defendant's attorney says, yes, sir. The judge says, so you're not offering any exhibits. The defendant's attorney, no, sir. I would like to do an offer of proof on the first original petition in the case. The judge says, all right, am I understanding correctly that you're not offering any exhibits? Defendant's attorney says, that's correct, judge. The judge says, is that correct? And the defendant's attorney says, yes, sir. The judge says, okay, now we are still on the record. And the court reporter nods, yes. 
The judge says, oh, good. Thank you for that. All right. So we have our next offer of proof is the defendant's proffer, as I understand it, of the first petition in this case. Is that right? Defendant's attorney says, yes, sir, judge. The judge says, all right, you may go ahead. Do you need to examine this witness or do you just want to offer it or how do you want to handle it? Defendant's attorney says, yes, I would like to examine the witness, your honor. May I approach? The judge says, you may. And then defendant's attorney says, Miss Wrighton, I've got what's titled Plaintiff Crystal Wrighton's Original Petition and Request for Disclosure. I'm going to hand you that at this time and direct your attention to Roman numeral five. It says facts. And I said, okay. Defendant's attorney says, can you read that paragraph into the record, please, for the court? And I said, plaintiff began her employment with defendant on or about May 2019 as the operations manager for defendant's company, along with accounting responsibilities. The first incident of public libel and slander was in March of 2020 regarding an incident involving sizing of denim jeans in which a misunderstanding about the sizing was posted on the defendant's business Facebook group's private group with over 30,000 followers instead of handled within the confines of the employer-employee relationship. Plaintiff ultimately decided to terminate her employment with defendant on September 2nd of 2020. And what I've just read is the first paragraph of my original pleading. Again, the paralegal put this in there. I had no idea that it was included, but the second paragraph goes on to talk about the current defamation, but that was not asked to be read. Defendant's attorney says, I'll take that back from you for just a moment, please, and direct your attention to Roman numeral 11 the amount in controversy and ask you to read that for the court, please. And I said, pursuant to the Texas Tex R Civil Procedure 47C, plaintiff states that she seeks only monetary relief of in excess of $1 million. Defendant's attorney, okay, and this is the petition that was filed on your behalf by your counsel. Is that correct? And I said, that was written and filed without me reviewing it. Yes. Defendant's attorney said, did you have an opportunity to talk to your counsel before he filed the petition? And I said, yes. Defendant's attorney, okay, and you gave gave them the information concerning this claim about the sizing of the jeans. Is that right? And I said, yes. Defendant's attorney says, okay, no further questions from this witness, your honor. The judge says, all right, any objection to this testimony? Elizabeth says, yes, your honor. Under rule 47, this pleading has been superseded by, in fact, three other pleadings in which we mention numerous other statements besides this one. And there have been no contradictory testimony that has been presented in this trial to bring forth the original petition of plaintiff. The judge says that objection is sustained. So he is agreeing with Elizabeth. Then he says, I'll also note that this offered exhibit is not on the defendant's exhibit list, so we will not be referring to it in front of the jury, anything else. So he's saying, not only is Elizabeth correct in objecting to this, but my original petition wasn't even on the defendant's exhibit list to begin with. So in either case, it would not have been admitted into evidence. Elizabeth says, not from us. And then the judge says, all right, let's take two minutes to stretch our legs and then we'll bring the jury back in. Are you going to close? Sarah says, yes, your honor. We are going to close. The judge says, you're going to rest and close. Defendant's attorney says, yes, sir. The judge says, all right, bring them in. When the jury is present, he says, all right, everybody be seated, please. We are in the defendant's case. For the defense, defendant's attorney, you may call your next witness. Defendant's attorney says, defendant rests, your honor. The judge says, all right, defendant has rested. Plaintiff, do you have any evidence in rebuttal? Sarah says, no, your honor. Honor. Plaintiff closes. The judge says, all right, defendant closes. And defendant's attorney says, yes, sir, your honor. And then the judge says, all right, ladies and gentlemen, you have now heard all of the evidence that you're going to hear in this case. The testimony has been admitted. The exhibits have been admitted. And so there remains some work to be done on the part of the lawyers and me. Specifically, I have to come up with, with the input of the lawyers, what's called the court's charge. And that's a document that is typically about 10 pages long. It has instructions, definitions, and questions. And we have to come up with the first draft. Then we circulate the 
first draft to everybody and get input and we make changes to it. And then we make at least a second draft after getting everybody's input. And then there's what's called the formal charge conference where the lawyers again review it and make objections to it and so forth. And ultimately it is the court's charge. You'll see that's the title of it. But there's a lot of input from the lawyers and a lot of, this is kind of the sausage making part of the trial that you really don't want to watch. So it's several steps. And it can take anywhere from an hour or an hour and a half in the best case to a few hours, probably not in a case like this where we've just had two days of testimony, but I've been in charge conferences that have lasted like 10 hours. So there's a lot to it, but it doesn't involve you guys. All you see is the finished product of the court's charge. And I tell you all that because I want to assure you that even though we're going to be dismissing you early today and bringing you in a little bit later in the morning, we're going to be working during that period of time. So I don't want anybody to think that we're not respectful of your time. We will be working for a while this afternoon and a while in the morning so that we can get that and be ready to go at 10 a.m. So if you all will be back in the jury room about 10 till 10, my hope and aspiration is that when you come in at 10, that we'll be able to read you the torch charge, have the final arguments of the attorneys, and then the case will be in your hands. So we will start in terms of the jury being back in the courtroom tomorrow at 10 a.m. in the morning. Y'all have been very prompt and very reliable through the trial. We really do appreciate that. But we will start at 10 in the morning, so we'll see you a few minutes after that. We are dismissed for the day. Thank you. Thank you. Once the jury leaves, the judge says, all right, let the record reflect the jury has exited and we are still here with the parties and their attorneys and still on the record. So let's go off the record for just a second. We were off the record for five minutes. And then the judge says, let me put on the record. It's 3.30 now. We need to put together the first draft of the charge and we'll reconvene with the attorneys. Parties are optional and we'll reconvene at 4.15. We're adjourned. Thank you. So at this point, the judge has dismissed the jury. It is about 3.30 and the attorneys and the defendant and I were all still present whenever they were working on the court's charge. And the issue with the court's charge is that when Elizabeth submitted our charge of the court, it was 127 pages long because the rules state that every defamatory statement must be in the court's charge. However, the judge disagreed and said, under no circumstances am I giving the jury a 127 page charge. So we were going to be working to narrow that down. The judge called it broad form. And there was some going back and forth over which questions needed to be unanimous to get to other questions. And so this did take a little bit that afternoon. So we didn't leave until after 5 p.m., but the jury did leave at 3 p.m. And now all of the testimony has been heard. The only thing left are closing statements by the attorneys, but all of the testimony is in. All of the evidence is in. I would like to point out that you, as a listener of this podcast, have heard an astronomical amount of evidence and the jury only heard a fraction of a fraction of a fraction. But all of the testimony and evidence is in and tomorrow we will be having the closing statements from the attorneys and then the jury will deliberate. Next time on False and Defamatory. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, after the closing statements, you will go back to the jury room to decide the case, answer the questions that are attached, and reach a verdict. You are to make up your own minds about the facts. You are the sole judges of the credibility of the witnesses and the weight to give their testimony. 
defamatory means an ordinary person would interpret the statement in a way that tends to injure a living person's reputation and thereby expose the person to public hatred, contempt or ridicule, or financial injury, or to impeach the person's honesty, integrity, virtue, or reputation. Ordinary care concerning the truth of the statement and its potential to be defamatory means that degree of care would be used by a person of ordinary prudence under the same or similar circumstances. She says, it's my truth. But ladies and gentlemen, her truth isn't the truth. And this very first post, the defendant said that 90% of the posts were the same person. And be clear, in this post she names my client, doesn't reference her, it's not through innuendo, it's not through assumption. She says Crystal Wrighton's name. She says it. She says that she stalked her for several years, that Crystal Wrighton came into her business to destroy it and then brag about it on the internet. Ladies and gentlemen, you have these posts. You will be able to see what the defendant said and what her followers said. Her internet friends, her army, as they call themselves. And when they said horrible things about my client, that they would go find her and harm her, that they wanted to know where she lived, when they posted a picture of her where they cut out her son, the defendant knew what she was doing and not once did she tell them to stop. Instead, as you will see, it's in the evidence, she engages with them. She doubles down with them. She incites them on the horrible, awful, threatening things that they say about my client. After those retraction letters were sent and after the police tells her that no crimes have been committed, she continues to post. She continues to make a mockery of this process. She didn't do that yesterday on the stand, but she did it in her videos. She did it in almost two years leading up to this. Plaintiff is also asking you guys to award money for damage to the reputation, her reputation past and future, medical bills past and future, mental anguish past and future, all over some Facebook and Instagram posts, the result of which wound up being nothing with respect to any actual confrontation with any person. Or my client testified in an emotional fashion. It was in some ways difficult to turn away from. It was raw. And she testified that she never posted anything that she knew was wrong or false. She testified that she never posted with an intent to hurt the plaintiff. So when you go back to that room and you consider the plaintiff's claims, I'm asking you to please consider what the plaintiff's counsel has attempted to tell you. Recognize what really took place and return a verdict in favor of the defendant and against the plaintiff. And so when Elizabeth came in and said, the verdict is in, I don't even know if my heart was still beating. Finally, the jury had seen it and saw the truth and they were ruling in favor of the truth. And it didn't even matter to me what the rest of it said. All I needed was that yes. So every single question in the jury charge was unanimous. The False and Defamatory podcast is hosted, edited, and produced by me, Crystal Brighton, with music by Harry B. Ragsdale, who also serves as my audio engineer. First and foremost, I would like to thank my guests who generously shared their time and insight with us. I would also like to thank my husband, my mom, my children, my therapist, my attorneys, and trusted friends who walked with me through this process and made this podcast possible. Being able to finally speak the truth is incredibly healing, and I appreciate you listening more than I could actually 
accurately express. If you would like to continue receiving my latest episodes and stay up to date with my content, please subscribe to the False and Defamatory podcast on your preferred podcast platform and follow False and Defamatory on social media with the handle at False and Defamatory. Links to False and Defamatory social media as well as my blog can be found in the episode notes and on falseanddefamatory.com. Listening to the False and Defamatory podcast is free on most platforms. However, if you prefer a video podcast or would like to see the documents discussed in the podcast shown on screen, you can subscribe to my Patreon where you will enjoy these benefits as well as early access, bonus content, and ad-free listening. The defendant spread her false and defamatory claims to hundreds of thousands of followers for more than two years. My goal is to share the truth so it can reach each person who heard her lies. By sharing this podcast, you can help me achieve that goal. Your support means everything to me and helps me reach a wider audience. So please hit that subscribe button and share this podcast with those you think would benefit from it. Thank you again for sharing and for listening. All social media posts referenced in this podcast were included in the evidence in case number 096-321-678-20 in the 96th District Court of Tarrant County, Texas, where the jury unanimously ruled in my favor on August 24, 2022. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the False and Defamatory podcast does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Views and opinions expressed by the guests are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the view of the False and Defamatory podcast or Crystal Wrighton. Please do not make any attempts to reach out to the defendant or her followers. Names have been redacted to protect the privacy of the defendant and her army of followers who commented on her public posts. The unanimous jury verdict has not only provided me with justice, but also allows me to share my story. The purpose of this podcast is to share the truth and to provide educational content regarding defamation and social media. If you have any questions about this or to view the documents discussed in this episode, please visit falseanddefamatory.com.